Welcome to Boston's Best, a podcast where you go behind the scenes with financial planner Mark Condon as he asks industry-leading experts in and around Boston to talk about their businesses. Mark will find out what sets these companies apart from their competition and how they have risen above the inevitable challenges they have faced along the way to their ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Mark Condon. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode 96 of Boston's Best, brought to you by Condon Productions. The goal of this podcast is to highlight businesses in and around Boston. My guest on today's podcast is Nadia Liu Spellman. Nadia is the CEO and founder of Dumpling Daughter, a restaurant serving authentic, time-tested dumplings, buns, and noodles. Who doesn't love a good dumpling? Dumpling Daughter was founded in 2014 and has three locations, Weston, Brookline, and Cambridge. Nadia has a great backstory. Her parents owned Boston's most renowned five-star Chinese restaurant, Sally Ling's. Growing up in that atmosphere was something that always stuck with Nadia, and she eventually found herself wanting to start her own business of selling frozen dumplings. After a couple conversations with other people in the industry, she decided to open up her first Dumpling Daughter restaurant in Weston. In this episode, we talk in-depth about the early successes she had with Lines Out the Door to the early challenges of opening their third location right in 2020 when COVID hit. She has created something special with Dumpling Daughter. In 2022, they will have a pop-up at the U.S. Open for the USGA in June. They're opening a fourth location in South Boston, and they have a cookbook coming out for their eighth anniversary this November. And be sure to listen to the end, as Nadia shares the advice she'd give someone looking to start their own business, what she would tell her 18-year-old self, and how she defines success in any given year. And so, with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boston's Best. Good morning. This week we have Nadia Liu Spellman. She is the CEO and founder of Dumpling Daughter. How are you doing, Nadia? Good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on here. Like we were chatting about before we recorded, it's always fun having previous guests that were on here. And then I came across you through Jeff and Alyssa of New England Country Mart. Here you are sharing about Dumpling Daughter. So it's fun to see like how these connections have been made just through the podcast alone. Yeah, we're big fans of New England Country Mart and the Cotton family. We've been working with them for generations. Um, our parents work together and now us. So they're like family to us. Yeah, that's wild. It's crazy how far back that goes. So speaking of how far back it goes, let's get into your background, your history, like your childhood and uh, ultimately what led you into Dumpling Daughter. I grew up in the Chinese restaurant business. My parents owned the most high-end Chinese restaurant in Boston in the 80s. And so... Okay. Growing up in that atmosphere, Chinese food was such a luxury. It was something to be celebrated. Our families would get together over amazing meals. And as I grew up, I realized how different my upbringing was in these restaurants. And we had several restaurants. And then when I was 12, my parents actually got a divorce because they worked together and had too many restaurants, I think. Yeah. And as I got older, I realized that some of the happiest times of my childhood were sitting around the table, not just at the restaurants, but at home. Food has always been a big love of my life, fine dining, and also just eating the best of whatever I could get, right? So when I was in New York City after college, I would always try to go find the best hot dog or the best hamburger, the best pizza the most fine dining experience I could. And I spent all my money on food. And in a way, it was like research, right? Research yeah. and my passion and also cooking a lot. I started cooking a lot. 
And so food has really followed me through my life in a special way because it connected me all the way back to my childhood always. And so when I got married, I wanted to do something in food and and get out of finance. Okay. The reason why I started Dumpling Daughter is because I originally wanted to start a frozen dumpling company wholesaling to supermarkets. Okay. And I stumbled upon Stacy of Stacy's Pita Chips at a charity event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I told her that that was my idea. And she said to me that you can't really get in with distributors and supermarkets unless you have a brand, a brand that people identify with, a brand that they've experienced. And she said, you know, riding on your parents' coattails isn't going to be enough for you to sell the dumplings. So you should probably create a brand yourself. Okay. And although my parents had always encouraged me to not be in the restaurant business, they also encouraged me to follow my passions and my dreams. And so I decided to start a restaurant. Of course, the first person that was there to help me was my mom. Unfortunately, my father had passed away when I was 27. And so he left me with a lot of important lessons to live on with. And that was to follow your passion and, and to do something that you love, then it's not work. And so I set out to start Dumpling Daughter, which we found our first location right back at home in my hometown of Weston, Massachusetts. And I knew that this was something that I had to do because my father always encouraged me to be a self-sufficient woman. He said, it doesn't matter who you marry. It doesn't matter what kind of wealth you come into. You have to be a self-sufficient woman because anything can change in a second. And so you need to be able to stand on your own. And so I knew that before I had children, I wanted to start my own business and to give it a shot. Otherwise, I would regret it. And so we started Dumpling Daughter in 2014. And the reason why we chose Weston was really because my late father had always dreamed of having a restaurant in Weston, ironically. So, you know, he had six restaurants with my mom, but in 1986, he went to the landlord in Weston and asked for one of the restaurants there that was changing hands. And they said that they already signed the lease to somebody else. And so he always said that he missed his chance to have a restaurant in Weston. And so when a restaurant became available, I took it right away, thinking that this was going to be a good idea. And it was because shortly after we opened, we got glowing reviews by the Boston Globe, the most respected editor, Cheryl Julian. We had Phantom Gourmet televising us. There was a line around the building within three months. So it was an incredible launch. It was the hardest thing I had ever done because I thought that we were going to be like a cute local business, <laughs> serving maybe 50 customers a day, you know, la di da di da. Not at all. I underestimated it. It was a dream come true, but also the most stressful thing I'd ever <laughs> seen because we were constantly selling out of food. Oh, wow. So I just didn't know what to expect and how much to make. And everything is made from scratch. And so we literally had to close the restaurant to create more chicken soup. We had to, yeah, everything takes time. And so looking back, an incredible time, but really tested, tested me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's a crazy cool backstory that you have there. I mean, it's funny, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, you know, like you just, you grew up in the industry and you just couldn't help but bring yourself back 
to the industry itself. So when you were expecting to serve like 50 a day, right? Like how many were you serving initially? And was it, was it only dumplings to start? And like, is that why you closed to try to create like a more on a menu so you wouldn't always run out of dumplings? So my father left me with the advice of, look, I have a feeling you're going to end up in the food business because that's how we raised you. Yeah. And we all love food and I know that. And so you're probably going to end up doing it. My best advice is if you do it, do it in the smartest way that you can. Meaning if you're not there, the restaurant will run the same. Set the processes, very clean, very simple and execute, you know, with a good team behind you. And you don't have to be there all the time. You don't want to be chained to your business. Because you want to be able to trust others to execute your processes. And so I went forward with designing the menu with that in mind. Okay. To create dishes that almost anyone can execute uh, without me being there. And so I actually asked my mom for recipes, family recipes that I loved as a child. And so Dumpling Daughter is really based on my childhood homestyle food and the food that I loved eating growing up because I was always eating fancy Chinese food. (laughs) And so I think what really brought me back to the the happy childhood that I had was the comfort food that I ate at home. And so I asked my mom to give me recipes for about 30 dishes. And we cooked through them and I wrote the menu for Dumpling Daughter based on all these dishes that I loved. And so, you know, you don't really need a chef. You just need the recipes. Yeah. So was it difficult getting those recipes for your mom? Were they like in a vault, like locked down or was she pretty open to giving them to you? She was very open. I think that she loves sharing. Yeah. Uh, You know, the, the beautiful thing about her cooking is that she shares and it's all from her head. She learns by eating others' foods and she she learns by watching TV and she knows from all the eating that she's done in her life all over the world. And she takes everything that she's been exposed to and makes it her own. And so she's amazing at sharing her recipes and cooking for us. That's cool. That's cool. So you opened in 2014. You said the first location was Weston? Yes. And you have two other locations, if I know, right? Yes. We have Cambridge, which opened in 2018, and then Brookline, which opened actually May of 2020, the pandemic, which was also an interesting opening. And then we're also opening one in South Boston this summer. Oh, that's that's awesome. South Boston is going to be a really, really great location. Let's go back to the, was it the Brookline? I'm sorry. The Brookline was, no, Cambridge was 2020. Uh, Brookline was 2020. It was supposed to be open uh, March of 2020 of all dates. uh, Wow, that's wild. But you was given everything going on, you were still able to open only two months later. That's pretty, that's pretty good, especially with everything that had gone on the restrictions and all that, like that couldn't have been an easy time for you guys. You know, I think that building businesses has its amazing moments. And also those moments where you're like, what did I do? Or how did I get this kind of stroke of bad luck? Yeah, we've been working on that restaurant for a while. We built it from scratch. Like it's next to the Trader Joe's in Coolidge Corner. And so it was a yogurt shop and we converted it into a dumpling daughter. Previously, all of our restaurants were 
restaurants that we converted into dumpling dollar. This was a yogurt shop. So it's challenging, you know, to put in a hood and to, to build everything from yeah. scratch. And we said, okay, the third week of March, 2020 is our launch date. And don't forget it went contactless, I think like March 21st. And so we were ready to open late March. And here we are, March 16th, our Cambridge location was ordered to be closed down because of COVID by our landlord. Our landlord in Cambridge is actually the Broad Institute who runs the most COVID tests in the whole country. Oh, so wow. they were in the know on how serious this was going to be. Yeah. They told us on March 16th, you're shutting down. Oh. So we knew from the strip, from the source, from scientists that this was not to be messed with. Yeah. And, and then I said, okay, well, what are we doing with Brookline? And what we did know was that Weston was a restaurant that had been opened already for six years. And we had loyal customers and we said, let's experiment. Weston has always been kind of like our test location, test kitchen for everything. Yep. Let's test and see what happens. So when the Broad Institute told us to shut down, in Weston, we decided to lock the door and do contactless ordering. So we were one of the first restaurants, I think, that I know of that went contactless, mask wearing, don't let the customers in, cut down to five days a week so that the same staff would be working full time. Okay. Changed everything in 24 hours. Wow. And we launched online ordering, which we had never touched online ordering before. And we launched it. And quite easily, because we have a great POS system. So we launched that and the business just continued. It seemed really? like Weston families just needed something to eat. They wanted their takeout just as they did when things were normal. People were so grateful that we were open. They told us that we were like the little glimpse of normalcy in their yeah. life yeah. Uh, during an unknown time. And our staff, you know, we had a staff meeting and I said to my staff, look, number one is everybody's health and safety. I want you guys to do an anonymous vote. And so I had them vote and drop it in a hat. And I just looked at the votes and every single person voted to continue working. Wow. And so that was very, what's the word? Just like moving. It was moving for me that they all wanted to stay working. They said that if they didn't, they would feel abnormal. And so they were like, look, we want to continue serving. So let's just be super careful. My manager was actually stuck in China because she was in China when lockdown happened in 2020. And we had to get her back by five planes. And so it, like, we were very, very in the know on just how scary it was going to be. And we all made that decision together. And so, you know, I'm proud to say that until today, which is over two years later, we're still takeout only because my staff is still wearing masks and still doing the same thing. And we're, wow. our businesses has been as great as ever. Wow. So you didn't really see too much of a, obviously initially maybe, but it, oh, in general, you didn't really see too much of a blip just because of how quickly you pivoted to the online ordering and the takeout. Yeah. I mean, within 24 hours of the road telling me Cambridge has to shut down, I felt like somebody cut my arm off. Like, yeah. what are we going to do now? And I just quickly thought, we need to do everything we can to stay in business. Let me ask my staff what they want to do. And 
we just made that decision as a team and things were going so well that that actually triggered us to feel like we could do the same thing with Brookline. And you know, during a time when others were actually just at such a loss and it was so sad to watch, I kind of wanted to, to do something different, which was to actually open a restaurant. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was ready to open. And so we actually were on Fox 25 for opening a restaurant in wow. May. Um, because I felt like it was somewhat of positive news, right? Like yeah. we can make this work, you know, let's, and, and, and I think that the beauty of what happened was that when Cambridge shut down, the entire staff then moved to Brookline to open it. Oh, wow. We didn't have any kind of obstacles in opening because the whole staff knew what to do. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. Wow. So, so you opened initially in 2014, what were some of the early challenges that you experienced opening your very first restaurant? Like, you know, clearly you had a line out the door very early on. So you knew you had something pretty special, but what were some of the early challenges as a business owner starting at your own restaurant? I think I learned that you never know what to expect when you start your own business. Like I said, I thought that it was going to be a very fun, calm atmosphere, but instead it was a line out the door within three months. The biggest challenge was knowing what to expect because you really don't. Yeah. And trying to grasp your PARs in, in the industry, PARs meaning what you're going to need to execute the day, yeah. your inventory. Yeah. And opening in a small, quiet town like Weston, where you're really serving local residents, you don't expect people from out of town to come into Weston to eat at your restaurant. And right. so knowing your PARs and your expectations set, you know, setting, setting the bar high too. You know, I think right from the beginning, you have to try your best to make everything as perfect as possible because everything you serve is an image of what you are and you don't get second chances very often. And I think that starting in a town like Weston also is a challenge because people's expectations are high Yeah, because people are very educated and they've, eaten all over the world and they, they're not going to stand for just mediocre food. Right. And so, you know, you open in a town with that much pressure. It's a lot of stress. For sure. Yeah. So as far as the dumplings go, how many different kinds of dumplings are there? Is that like a stupid question to ask? Uh, sometimes we have five, sometimes we have six, but if you go to China, you can have up to 30. Jeez. Yeah. And that's kind of a loaded question because <laughs> Dumplings are the original form of pasta wrapped with filling. Yeah. No. And there's probably 40 different breeds from all over the world. And dumplings started four or 5,000 years ago. And the Italians learned ravioli, tortellini. Right. And there's uh, empanadas and mandus. And there's just, there's a type of dumpling in every corner of the world. So there's many types. And in China, if you go to Northern China, like Beijing, you're going to find a restaurant that just serves dumplings with 30 fillings. And those are my favorite types of restaurants because, you know, making filling and wrapping the dumpling is so much labor involved. There's So to be able to feast on other people's craftsmanship and try the different fillings is really fun. That's cool. That's cool. So you're clearly a busy woman. You have three 
three restaurants, you're about to open a fourth. Maybe this goes back to what you said earlier, earlier about having processes in place, but how do you manage your calendar from day to day? I mean, you know, it can't be easy with, you know, almost four restaurants now being open. Yeah. I would love to actually circle back during COVID. We actually thought about what got us here today. And I remembered first thought, best thought was the frozen dumplings. Okay. I wanted to sell frozen dumplings. So I always think to myself, whenever I'm debating about a decision, first thought, best thought. My first thought was to sell frozen dumplings. And I wanted to to do that during COVID. And I thought, well, if people aren't coming out, we're going to sell them frozen so they can cook them at any time of the day for themselves. So we started designing packaging, writing the instructions so that Westerners could actually cook an authentic Chinese dumpling correctly. It's not the easiest thing. It doesn't involve a microwave. You have to boil them twice. Okay. And we started preparing to sell frozen properly with packaging. And we started selling them in our restaurants. And it was going so well that I started looking to my business advisors, people that are in consumer products, people that have run huge fast casual restaurant companies. And I said, have you ever seen a restaurant also sell consumer products? And they said, one of the most challenging things is to have your current customer see you in another way. So if your current customer sees you as their solution for takeout, to get them to also see you as their solution to frozen or a consumer product is very challenging because they're already used to seeing you one way. And to capture their business in many channels is a challenge. And I realized that we were doing that and that it was really magical that people then wanted sauce. So then I went to Amazon and I bought eight ounce sauce bottles and I started bottling the sauce in Weston and selling sauce, duck sauce, ginger soy, spicy sweet soy, all the sauces, and people would buy them with the frozen dumplings. No way. And so I felt like, okay, now we're on to something. Yeah. And I actually heard a podcast on Shopify yep. how I built this. And I thought, wow, it sounds really easy to, to build a website where you can buy stuff. So like, <laughs> let's sell frozen dumplings nationwide. So we actually started building a Shopify website in 2020 to sell dumplings direct to consumer. And we did that. We launched that in 2021 of February. And then a supermarket owner from Volante, who I adore, amazing supermarket in Needham. She is a current, she was a customer and she told me, I am buying these frozen dumplings from your restaurant and I want them in the supermarket. So actually the packaging was perfect timing because we had been doing that. We started selling frozen dumplings in the supermarket in 2020 as well. And so talk about just figuring out anything you can do to save your business and to keep people busy. We tried everything we could. That's so cool. Because as you were talking before you just finished what you were saying, I was like, she has like, she has a name brand now, like she could probably go to the supermarkets and sell them if she wanted to. And here you are already doing, you know, selling the frozen ones nationwide. And now you're in, what was the name of the rest of that uh, store again? Volante. 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 Volante and Nita. And that's actually what led us right to New England Country Mart is because the cops were pivoting their business. And then they asked if they could buy our frozen dumplings to sell. No kidding. Small world. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild. That's really cool. So how how have you gone about marketing? 
like from and how has that changed from maybe 2014 to now? I imagine you're a lot more active on social media these days with Instagram and stuff. But like, how do you get the buzz going when you first opened Weston in 2014? To, how do you keep it going now? That's a great question. I've never paid for advertising. Nice. I think I was just very lucky that Boston is a small town and my parents opened those five-star restaurants in yeah. the 80s. And so the press naturally came and wanted to try the food because of the legacy. And so that's where I've been very lucky in uh, benefiting from what my parents built. But also that's the reason why I wanted to build a brand and do something more with food is because of what they did. You know, I think growing up, I'm actually a very Chinese cultured American Chinese where I really value family and paying the respects to our elders. And so I really wanted to do something that was honoring my parents' work and legacy. And that's really where the drive came from, is how do I continue what they did and celebrate what they did? Yeah. Because again, back to my childhood, it was a wonderful time. And I really wanted to celebrate what they accomplished and pay respects to it. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's why you've been so successful up to this point. You know, very genuine and you know, paying respect to you know your families and the the restaurant that they opened back in the '80s. Like that's really cool. Any exciting upcoming events that you got going on this year outside of the South Boston opening? Yeah, so we have South Boston, and we are serving dumplings, hot fresh dumplings at the U.S. Open of Golf, which is at the Country Club in Brookline. Yep, and it's such an honor because. It is one of the top watched sporting events, you know, with the popularity of Tiger Woods coming back, possibly. It's just been a very exciting time for golf. And I'm a golf fan. So we're very excited about being at the U.S. Open and serving dumplings and just being part of it, part of the USGA um, effort. And we also have a cookbook coming out at the end of the year. To celebrate the eighth anniversary of Weston on November 8th. It's really a cookbook that I wrote as a way to pay respect to my mother's recipes. That's cool. So my mom wrote all of the recipes that I asked her to write. Just like when we started Dumpling Daughter during COVID, I asked her to start writing recipes for a book. And she was very excited because she had always wanted to write a book. And I said, all right. We're going to write a book and I'm going to give you a hundred dishes that I want you to write recipes for. And so she wrote them and I cooked through them here in Boston while she was in Florida and fine tuned the recipes, wrote a book about my family, my parents, and just paying respect so that my kids have an heirloom. That's really cool. How'd you get the opportunity to be at the U.S. Open this year? Did you reach out? Did somebody reach out to you? Like, how does that work? Yeah, it was really fun. The president of the chamber of commerce for Brookline reached out to us because he's a huge fan of dumpling daughter. And he told us that the catering company that handles all USG events was visiting Boston and interviewing different brands to source local food for the event. Okay. And he said, there's up to a hundred companies that are going to pitch. They really love using local brands. Very few are actually going to get their brands out there, most likely they're just going to use your food and sell it 
or serve it to the players or serve it to the VIPs or the staff, but come and present. And so there was a very, it was like speed dating. (laughs) We just, we met with the CEO of the catering company from DC that caters all USG events. We had maybe one minute to talk about our product and have her try it. Wow. And they picked us to do a pop-up. So we're honored. That's amazing. That's really cool. Good for you. Congrats. Like that's, that's an accomplishment. That'll be, that'll be a fun week. US for, Open, a golf, for a golf fan, it's a huge deal. Because yeah, especially <laughs> you being a golf fan on top of that. Yeah. That's awesome. Good for you. Congrats. That's really cool. So what do you see for the future of Dumpling Daughter? You have, you're about to open your fourth location. Um, do you have like a number of locations you're trying to get to or is just kind of play it by ear each year to see how things you know develop? Like what's, what do you see for the future of it? The original goal was really just so Westerners could have dumplings the way Chinese people do. Yeah. Chinese people eat dumplings as a meal, whereas in the Western world, it's always been an appetizer. Yeah. We feast over large plates of dumplings. And I wanted to make that approachable for Westerners. So my goal really is to share more dumplings with more people over time. And however we're going to get that done, we're going to get it done. And it looks like supermarkets is a really great way to get into more people's mouths in their homes. 100%. You know, my mailman stopped me the other day and showed me a picture from his phone and said, isn't this you? And, <laughs> and he he had a picture of the box and he looked at the name on the back, my name that I put on the box. And he's like, I delivered mail to you. And this is you. And I said, yes. And he said, when I bring these home to my wife, she's like, loves me so much. And that that's just like, makes me realize that supermarkets are really the fastest way to get into people's mouths, which is my goal. And we're now in over a hundred gourmet markets. Really? Yeah. And we hope to get into bigger chains uh, this year. So not just the one-off family ones, but, you know, some chains in the New England area. And that's the plan for this summer. And and so that really is the goal, right? Is more people to be eating dumplings and whether they're my dumplings or somebody else's dumplings, I think we all just need to eat more dumplings. I love it. I love it. That's really cool. hundred stores already. That's uh, that's, that's a huge accomplishment. So congrats on that. Thank you. Um, so with everything going on that you're obviously, you know, you work a ton, right? You, you know, you run almost four, you know, four locations at this point. I always like to ask this question to business owners and entrepreneurs. Do you ever picture yourself 100% completely retiring and just sailing off into the sunset one day? But do you think you'll always have your hand in the dumpling world? I have a clear passion for dumplings and food, but I also have a big passion for coaching and helping others. And so one of my dreams is one day that we can grow it big enough that we can really give back specifically to the hungry. And that's something that I would like to do. And then in addition to that, I love working with young people it's inspiring to see people evolve from a young age. And and by that, I mean like 18 to 30, I think is a very crucial time in people's lives. And I've worked with a lot of people at my restaurants in that age range, and I love seeing them grow. And so one of my other dreams is to maybe teach or, you know, coach at at my alma mater, Babson College. 
So no, I don't think I'll ever be sailing into the sunset and relaxing. I think I love being busy and it really fulfills me to help others. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I I feel the same way. Like I love what I do and I don't think I'll ever hundred percent like retire. Like I enjoy, I'm a very big golf fan as well. I enjoy golfing, but even golf is four hours a day. Like, I don't know what I would do the rest of the day unless you're sitting there playing 18. Uh, yeah, I mean, unless you're playing like 36 holes a day or something, that just seems to be a little too much. So, and, and most business owners all say that type of answer as well. So glad to see you're in the same camp uh, outside of work though. Like what is, what are some of the hobbies that, you know, you enjoy your family enjoys traveling, you know, other hobbies in general. It's interesting. Your hobbies change throughout your life, right? It used to be travel, but now it's not as easy with a one-year-old and five-year-old. So what I love to do is stay local and I like to be with my kids. I think that the happiest moments of my life are now with my kids, but before kids, it was travel and uh, going out to eat. And now it's where can we go with the kids? Where will kids enjoy eating? What playground, what sport are we playing today? And that brings me so much joy. And so life is all about doing the things that make you happy and then filling in the holes, right? In the rest of your time. And so I feel like I'm most happy when I'm with them, but I also need to take the time for myself to achieve and make them proud and to make them look at me later on and say, look, mom did this, mom did that, because I want them to feel like mom and dad can do anything that they want. Yeah, like and that it's cool that you just said that. So like as we, like we were saying before we started recording, my daughter is 6 months old now, and it's funny how quickly like the priorities and like the thoughts on like how I enjoy spending my time has changed in just 6 months, right? Like we were supposed to do something a couple weekends ago and it's like I I just I don't want to go. Like I just want to like hang out like you know, I just want to hang out at home, you know, with my daughter and my wife and just have like a nice quiet Saturday night in. Um, and it's right. Like, and then when she starts talking to you and asking you yeah. questions, you're not going to ever want to leave her. <laughs> no, like exactly. It's like, you know, I have a, I have a bachelor party in a few weeks. Right. And it's like, it'll be the first time that either one of us will be alone with our daughter overnight, never mind a weekend, which is fine. But it's like, how do we do like, and we also have like a senior dog. He's 14. So my wife's going to juggle a six month old and a 14 year old dog. And I'm just like, I kind of don't want to go, but I already spent the money on the Airbnb. Like I'm going and he's a good buddy of mine, but like part of me is like pulling me back to like stay home and just like relax. But you know, um, it's just funny how quickly those, those change. And yeah, like when she starts talking, like, yeah, mm-hmm. it just, it melts you. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's really cool, but I can totally relate to everything you just said. So, but the thing about having kids and working hard, like you said, you don't want to be pulled away and you feel bad going. But actually, when you get back from the time away, you appreciate your life so much more than you did even before. You know, like you think it's great right now, but like when you go out and have, I went to Paris for three days to visit my friend after I had my son and he was one year old and I went to Paris for three days and I came back like rejuvenated, ready to go, just appreciating a whole nother level of life that you can still do those things, but you can still have your family. Yeah, no, it's very true. Very true. Like even like the best part of our days is like, she's in daycare is when we pick her up. Like I miss her. Like my wife even says like, she misses her all day. She's like, I'm like literally attached to her. And it kills me when I drop her off. And she's like, but when we pick her up, it's the best part of your day because you just miss them so much and you appreciate it so much more, you know? So it's just interesting how quickly 
you know, things change when children are in the mix and I wouldn't change it for the world. I think I'm very Chinese in the way that, uh, you know, growing up, I always wanted to make my parents proud. Yeah. You know, in Chinese culture, it's all about making your parents proud of you. And then, you know, in my twenties, it was like, well, how can I look in the mirror and feel good about myself? Yeah. Not just about making my parents proud, but make yourself happy right? and feel good about yourself. Yeah. And then once you have kids, you're like, I want to make my kids proud. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I want her to see us like both working hard, having successful careers, having our own businesses. Like I want her to see that type of stuff because it'll, it'll just like your parents did you. It instills that type of personality and that entrepreneurial spirit in you, you know? So like it makes me work even harder to, she doesn't understand it now at six months, you know, but I want her to be able to see that you know, as she grows up. So yeah, I think just as my parents were an inspiration to me, I want to be an inspiration to my boys. Yeah, exactly. So Nadia, as we, as we wrap up this episode of Boston's Best, there's three questions I always ask every guest and I would love to hear your answers as well. So the first one would be, what would be the first piece of advice you would give someone who's looking to start their own business? It doesn't have to be in the restaurant industry, but just any business in general. That might've been, that would, would have been helpful for you to know going into it. The first piece of advice before starting a business is to do it for the right reason. And by that, I mean, money should never be a driver. The driver should be your passion. Yeah. Because with passion and hard work, it's not that hard. Yeah. And money is a byproduct of hard work and passion. Right. So a lot of people go into the business thinking, well, what's my exit strategy? Yeah. I don't think that that should be the goal. Right. Of course, on paper, it can be a goal. But when you're working day in and day out, it can't be that. Yeah, you have to be in the business. You can't be like going day in, day out, wondering like, okay, is today the day I can sell my business and what can I get for it? Like, You need to be in it and just naturally the business is going to grow to a point where then you can have those conversations if it happens. But you can't go into starting a business with an immediate exit strategy. Oh, I'm going to create a product and sell it for a million dollars. I just, you know. It's not going to, you're not going to have a genuine, authentic product that there's passion behind. It's really going to grow, you know? So you're absolutely right. People, investors, clients, they can see right through something that is not authentic. 100%. 100%. Second question to wrap this up. If you could go back and tell your 18 year old self one thing, what would you tell her? I would say to study a little bit harder. I think that I got into the school that I wanted to get in, Babson, but then I didn't make the most of it. Okay. I had B pluses because I just got by and I studied just enough and I procrastinated a lot. And I would not do that if I could go back. Yeah, that's fair. B plus is still pretty good for somebody that that you know, quote unquote, like did enough just to get by. B plus <laughs> is pretty respectable. I mean, you got high expectations, I guess. It was just very last minute studying, staying yeah. up all night before the exam and didn't retain much information, and that was insane. Yeah, I, I I can relate. I did that a lot as well. I would cram everything the night before, kind of basically like memorize the material enough to, you know, get a good grade on the exam. And then, yeah, not really remember it, you know, and they didn't really learn it. You know, I just memorized it. So it was a big Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So last question, Nadia, and we've kind of talked about it a little bit up to this point, but everyone has a varying depiction of what success looks like to them. So how do you define success? There's a lot of definitions to success. Yeah. I think the top ones for me are feeling good at the end of the day that you expressed 
love or appreciation to the people that you care, number one. So whether that's hugging your kids or telling your spouse that it's been a great day and you were great today because I think it's good to go to bed saying that or doing that in your day. And then secondly, career-wise is getting something done that day. Yeah, yeah. Is feeling productive, you know, loving hard, playing hard, working hard is how I think of things. Loving hard, playing hard, working hard. I like it. I like it. That's a good way to wrap it up. Nadia, thank you very much for coming on Boston's Best to chat about Dumpling Daughter and just share your story. It's been, it's a really cool story and I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. Hey everyone. I just wanted to say thank you for checking out my podcast. I really do appreciate the love I've received for this show. I believe now more than ever, any exposure to local businesses is great for them to receive and I'm trying to do my part. If you are a local business owner or someone you know in the Boston area that would like to be featured on the podcast, please email me at bostonsbestpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow this podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Instagram with the handle at Boston's Best underscore podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com backslash Boston's Best podcast. Again, I truly appreciate the great feedback for this show and stay tuned for each new episode every Friday at 8 a.m. Take care.